spoilers ahead. Spoilers ahead. You have been warned. Welcome to Max Mike Movies, the show that plumps when you cook it. No, actually, what I meant to say was, in this, our second series, we'll discuss a different movie each week, a movie that falls into the category of what we're calling Hidden Gems. These are movies that Max and I both think are fun, interesting, or otherwise worth seeing, but for some reason, they don't seem to have reached a particularly wide audience. We'll go over the plot of the film in our show portion, go back and forth over the film's merits, points, and details in Lowdown, and finish up with the Roundup, where we discuss why we think this film deserves a wider audience, and maybe try to figure out why it doesn't have one. Sitting on my left is... Oh, where did you go? I'm over here on your right. Oh, no wonder. On my yeah. other left is my good host friend, Max Levine. Hello, and sit, sitting directly above me is my, my co-host, Mike Luce. I am like the block above Shazam. As soon as the string breaks, you'll become a superhero and Queen of England. Shazam, no! Crash. Holy moly! I think you just had an origin. <laughs> I, must, it... I must use this power only to annoy. D d uh, you're doing very well. Uh... Thank you. <laughs> it's my density. <laughs> you're my density. This week, we are talking about the movie from 1990, Pump Up the Volume. You dance, dance, pump up the volume, dance, dance. Uh, you don't have to dance. In fact, if you're but, driving, we recommend that you but don't. That's, but that's the song, isn't it? Uh, yeah. Uh, okay. <laughs> Keep singing that to yourself. Um, it's a 1990 film that stars Christian Slater. And it is one of many teen movies of that time, but one which for some reason doesn't seem to have leapt into people's minds quite as much as a lot of the other ones. Um, should we say John Hughes? Oops, I just did. Um, I think, uh, oh, Max, I know you'd seen this a number of times. I've seen this I a have. number of times. But those in our folks in our audience, both of them, may not have seen this film. So let's go tripping merrily right into the show portion of our show. To trip and trip and trip and trip and trip it up and down. You're fired. The show. <laughs> you can't fire me, I quit. <laughs> You can't quit me, I fire. Um, I wish I could quit you. <laughs> Listen, broke back. <laughs> right, here we are on the show portion. So the right. plot is, is fairly simple. It is high school. It is more or less Arizona. Kind more of. like, yeah, it's more like Santa Clara, California, but there you go. Shh. Christian Slater plays a young man whose family has just moved from the East Coast out here against his will. And he finds that he is very shy and reclusive and can't relate to anybody in his new school. To this end, he uses his shortwave radio set <clears throat> to broadcast a pirate radio show on local FM <clears throat> that basically allows him to speak his mind and portray all the feelings and, and emotions that are going through every high schooler's mind through this persona of Happy Harry Hardon. Things take a nasty turn when uh, one of his listeners, who writes in talking about the fact that he is thinking of committing suicide, isn't actually helped by Harry and does in fact go ahead and commit the act. From then on, things sort of seem to tumble out of control, Harry not realizing that he's actually become the spokesman for his entire school, which itself is having some very interesting problems. The film culminates in a very exciting chasing involving the FCC, a helicopter, and a bunch of police cars. There you have Oops. it. Sums it up. So there's a, a decent amount of trivia for this film. Mm. Um, Christian Slater um, was sort of just hitting his peak when this film came out. Um, he was 
very well known for the movie Heathers, which directly preceded this, mm. and it's the reason that the director-writer sought him out. Um, uh, you'll notice that there's one thing we never see Christian Slater doing in the film, and that is driving, because apparently um, mm. he'd had a couple of DUIs at the time, and um, yeah, so they couldn't show him actually driving. There's one scene that suggests he had been, which is near the end, where he shows up at Nora's house with his mom's Jeep. Yeah, um, but you but never see him behind the wheel. No, you don't. In fact, the only person you see is Nora. That being said, I think that the end scene's a lot better for Nora being behind the wheel and him broadcasting. So I think that worked out very well. Yeah, I think so. For our viewer, our viewers, our listeners, <laughs> both of you, um, you may remember another movie that was dire directed and written by the same person a couple of weeks ago, which was Empire Records. Um, this uh, wh was which, which same person? Um, this was Alan Moyle. Alan Moyle, okay. And he had, this was apparently a sleeper hit, although I haven't found any evidence of that online. Mm. Um, and because of this, he was able to make Empire Records. The main character, Mark Hunter, who is played by Christian Slater, was apparently based on a combination of Lenny Bruce and Holden Caulfield. Huh. Yeah, Lenny I Bruce makes a brief that. appearance in the film as a book. <laughs> Mr. Bruce was in shot at all times. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. We've done that one. <laughs> yes. um, the director apparently wanted John Cusack, but John Cusack said, you know what, I've done the teenage thing. I, I don't want to do any more of those. Well, good for him. Good for him, and I'm also going to say I think good for us, because I like John Cusack as an actor, and I don't know that this is a role that would have benefited from his portrayal. He, he's a little too... He was At that point, he was still a little too much of the nice guy. I think this yeah. needed... Christian Slater is a little better, I think, at playing the kind of off-center outsider. I also think that Christian Slater is able to better portray that dissatisfaction with life that sort of mm. I don't know what I'm doing and I don't know what's going on sort of thing as opposed to I can't talk to, to girls which of course mm. he does as well but I, I like uh, John Cusack a lot but I like Christian Slater I think a lot better in this role I don't you know, have anything to compare this with but there you go and of course this came only a year before his uh, Christian Slater's great work in that epic Robin Hood Prince of Thieves oh you know I like him better in that Star Trek movie <laughs> yes, where he plays guy whose face you can barely see standing in the doorway waking up George Takei. Oh, you know it's him. I, of course you know it's him. Lieutenant um, Redshirt Ski. Yeah, I don't think he even gets... Is he even credited in the movie? I forget. I think he's got a credit. I just don't think his character yeah. has a name. Um, <laughs> there's a song in the, in the film. Uh, I believe it's called Wave of Mutilation. I believe it's by the Pixies. Don't quote me on that part. But the uh, lyrics of that song were apparently written by Charles Manson. What? Yeah. Oh, good lord! I did not know that. Yeah. the The music in this song in this movie is really interesting. Um, mm. The soundtrack oh, is, is comprised of forty songs in the movie, only twelve of which made it in the album. Mm. One of the songs that did not make it into the album is a Beastie Boys song, and the reason yes. it did not make it on the album is that it has never been commercially released. Yeah, it's no one ever uses that song. You you hear Beastie Boys in soundtracks fairly consistently. I mean, hell, the latest Star Trek movie uh, used yes. sabotage. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes. But nobody uses scenario, and if you listen to the lyrics, you can see why. Because the Federation beat the enemy with the power of their rockin'. <laughs> Squibbly flabbly do. Yeah. Thank you, Patton. Yeah, I can't watch that movie anymore. Oh, um. 
Yeah, but apparently the Beastie Boys themselves never came up with a version of that song that they liked, and when any, and apparently since this movie in particular, they basically just say no when anybody asks, like, uh. "Hey, can we use that song?" They're like, "No." <laughs> so, um, some people say that this film predicts things like blogging and the internet in certain ways. It certainly predicts things such as, um, well, uh, podcasts, really, and uh, live streaming even more so. Uh, so, kind of like Christian Slater predicted our show. Oh, God, does that mean we have to do our shows na- naked, wearing only a cock ring? Yes, but um, that's... Do you know what one is? <laughs> no, but I want one. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that's actually a bit from a film. Max, of course he knows what yeah. a cock ring is. And yes, we're going to have to bleep the words cock ring anyway, so... <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll just do the first part. People have to guess. Okay. Okay. Um, the film pulled in a modest $11 million at the box office, which compared to some of the other teen movies at the time was very modest. Mm. Um, to the, and I wasn't able to find any information on why the film did not do better than it did. Like, I don't know if it wasn't marketed particularly well, if... I don't know. I, I couldn't find a reason. But it I, just... remember, I remember the marketing... I remember when that movie came out, and I remember seeing the commercials and it doesn't give you a real idea of what the movie is it's it, it focuses much more on the idea of pirate radio and how yeah. harry is the, is this sort of outlaw figure as opposed to the fact that he is the disaffected voice who give of, of basically of his generation or at least of his school mm. giving voice to the things no one else will say out loud yeah if you went to that film hoping for pirate radio you're i mean yeah, it's a part of the film, and it's an important part of the film, but it's that's not what it's about. So I can see why. But I also can see if, like, teenagers were looking for films they could relate to, what do they care about pirate radio? Because almost none of them could get any anyway. So, mm. yeah, that's weird. Um, <laughs> one of the other people in the film, because uh, for me there wasn't a lot of recognizable faces, but one of them that I didn't recognize is Annie Ross. She played the principal. Oh, yeah. And mm-hmm. she's in one of my favorite Robert Altman films called Shortcuts. She plays uh, a, a jazz singer, and she's exceedingly good at it. In fact, I, I have to look more up about Annie Ross, but she probably is a jazz singer and probably acts on the side. But she I was. totally did there, not get her at all. There are several Broadway actors in this movie. Are there? Is that what yeah. they are? Cause, yeah, because I looked at movie credits, and it's like, yep, didn't see that, 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 that. So mm-hmm. um, a lot of the kids in there went on and did, you know, lots of other acting. One of the kids that I did not recognize, and I only know because I went further down in the list to see who was who, was Seth Green. I'm like, wait, yep. Seth Green is in this? He was, and I was, like, he was Joey. Is... He's the kid who says, can you get me into the PA system? Yep, and I just, like, I had to go and actually Google an image of him from the film because I looked at it and says, well, it says it's Seth Green. I'll have to believe them, but man, man. Yeah. Um, very different, yes. Also, uh, just for some some music cred, Amit Zappa's in it. <laughs> yeah, that, that's that's a kind of weird... There's, there's a very odd part of that. You know, uh, Amit Zappa and... <clears throat> oh, Lord, what was her name? There's the character Janie, who is... Uh, Nora's friend. Mm-hmm. She is played by her first name is Lala, is all I remember. <laughs> yes, I, I I'm sure that's not. true. Yeah, and this is uh, not Max looking it up on IMDb as we're Lala. recording this. Yeah, Lala Slotman, excuse me, and uh, Ahmet Zappa. They're they're sort of uh, portrayed as boyfriend and girlfriend. It's not overemphasized, but there are a couple of scenes where they're together. Those two are actually cousins. Oh, that's icky. <laughs> yeah, it's 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 a little creepy. Oh well. Well, she's no moon. 
<laughs> oh, Moon Unit, thank you. Well, that's her middle name, isn't it? Yeah. And uh, neither of them are any dweezel. Yeah, no, no, but who is, really? Yes, really. Um, so the title of the film, Pump Up the Volume, um, has a listing in the Urban Dictionary. Oh. And apparently it's something that one does when another person has to um, uh, use the facilities so that that person can relax so because other people then can't hear them. Doing, ah. Yeah. So it's like, hey, bro, pump up the volume in that way. Yeah. Because yeah, it's going to get loud in here. All yeah. Right. Yeah. And we're going to blow the doors yeah. off this sub. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's what I found for trivia. Um, not that you had to, but do you know anymore? Um, a little. One of the things that stuns me, as you say, is about the casting. Uh, the woman who plays Harry's mom is a Broadway actress, Annie Ross, who also was in uh, the principal. She was also granny in all three of the Basket Case horror movies. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Well, I can see she yeah. brought that experience that, to this film. That's a, that's a real claim to fame. But what gets me, and I, I don't know what she was doing there, is Harry's English, or Mark's, excuse me, it's it's really easy to consider Mark the same character as Harry, which he yeah. is, even though they're two aspects of the same person. Yeah, Ellen Green. Ellen Green, another Broadway actress best yep. known probably for Little Shop of Horrors. Yep. Where she proves that a 70-pound woman can have a voice like a... I don't know what, but holy yeah, crap, can, when she lets blow the that, windows out of the place. Yeah, yeah. She, it's amazing. This tiny little woman, and she is a complete belter. Yeah, she's amazing. Yeah. It, I liked her in this role, actually. I thought she was exactly what she needed to be. My favorite scene is when she's listening to Harry's radio show, and she's got a glass of wine, and she's just smiling and shaking her head and having wine. Mm-hmm. Um, she gets it, you know, and it's, it's a shame, because when, obviously when she leaves, it's one of the few teachers that probably is able to and wants to relate to the kids on their own level. Anything else? She's an interesting character. Yeah, uh, the girl who plays Cheryl, the pre- the girl, the pregnant girl who is kicked out of school for being pregnant, is Holly Sampson, who went on to a star- storied career in softcore pornography. Oh, dear. So you see where pretending to be pregnant as a teen leads you. That's right. It leads mm-hmm. you to dancing. That's right. <laughs> Don't even joke about that, man. Dirty dancing. I, I lost two cousins to dirt to dancing. <laughs> no, you didn't. I might have. <laughs> uh, for both of our listeners, Max mm. is in fact a fibber. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, the other thing, I, I, the casting that I like is the guidance counselor. Did you recognize Dave, Mr. David Deaver? I did not. Uh, <laughs> but now that you're saying that, suddenly it's like there's his face floating above my head. Yeah. Who, who is it? Yeah, da- David Deaver. Who, again, the actor's name escapes me as I'm... Oh, yes. Excuse me. Ah, there it is. It's come back to me in my memory, a.k.a. IMDB. Robert Schenken. Ah. I think I'm pronouncing it right. He had... and I I remember when I first saw this movie, I had didn't recognize him at all. And even this time, I was just like, I know that guy's face. He's a pretty minor character. He has a few lines. That guy was on Star Trek The Next Generation. He was Commander Remick who shows up in two separate episodes as sort of a pain-in-the-ass bureaucrat. Oh, yeah. And eventually okay. it turns out he is the host... I'm sorry, this is a spoiler for at least one Star Trek The Next Generation episode. Sorry, kids. Uh, he turns out to be like the host being for this evil alien race. Doesn't he explode? Ne- yes, he does. <laughs> that is how we lose Commander Remick, is he literally bursts. Into flames! <laughs> No, into small plastic alien things. Yeah, okay. Which, I do, never, yeah. which are never heard from again. But anyway. That's fine. 
just as well really okay yeah, yeah. yeah you know yeah but you know here's the nice thing about next generation is there were so many actors that got so many roles i'm pretty sure if i look back through the credits i'm in there somewhere <laughs> entirely possible I'm pretty sure I guest starred on Next Gen. I mean, according to the cast list on uh, uh, you know on IMDb, uh, one one of the kids in there is named Alex. I, okay. I don't know which one he is. He also that was uh, played by Alexander in, uh, Aberg, and uh, he was on like one episode called Below Decks of Next Generation. Oh, like, I remember like, the episode. Yeah, he was the Vulcan. Ah, yes. <laughs> Now you remember him. Vulcan number two, my favorite character. Mm-hmm. So the cast is is kind of surprising. The other thing that gets me about the cast, the, the girl who plays Nora, that's Samantha Mathis. She's, she's, been, she's been working steadily since then. Yeah, she's fairly major. Now. Yeah. The part that words me out is that she's actually a blonde. Yeah, she's I know. She had to actually... This. Yeah, because it, it makes sense. You just... I can't really see Nora as blonde. Well, the thing that interests me is that a lot of times when folks dye their hair black, it's like, well, that's not your real hair color. No, and but it her worked case, for her. Looked, yeah, she looked great. Yeah, it worked with her coloring just well. It was great. Well, I'd say if we're done with trivia, we can mm-hmm. sit and spin and end up in The Lowdown. The Lowdown. Ow, my head is dizzy from sitting and spinning. Here we Good are thing. in the, lo- the Lowdown. It's so beautiful here. <laughs> it's pastoral colors. Mm. Um... So, uh, this film, yeah, I think the only reason I saw this film, and I'm pretty sure I did not see it in a theater, was our mutual friend Libby saw it, mm. and yeah. she really liked it and said, you should see it, and I'm pretty sure that we watched it on videotape. I think that's how I first saw it, too. Yeah, I don't remember any previews. I it was in the theater very long. Well, it was long enough to make 11 million bucks. It's opening weekend, it made like about a million and a half, which, you know, we're talking $1990 is not great, but it's not Mm -hmm. nothing. No. Um, By today's money, I don't even know what, I couldn't find out what the budget was, but I'm willing to bet it was more than $11 million. Um, So, you know, by all means, it did not make any money. One of the things we talk about a lot here on Max Mike Movies, besides our exciting personalities, is... Uh. Whether films are anachronistic or not, and we have to say that in this case, this film is exceedingly anachronistic because it's it's very dated. Yeah, um, in some ways. I mean, well, I was thinking about this. I was thinking like, how would you, if you wanted to reboot this, Hollywood, please don't reboot this. Don't yeah, make this again. Please. We don't want another one. We don't need another one. What would you do that would be something of the same? Um, the tech has advanced so much from the time that this movie was made that they'd kind of utterly have to rework it. Um, that being said, I think the message itself is still true, but, you know, there's not even cell phones. The best we can we can see in this film is a radio phone from a uh, base unit, and he uses it's that. It's not a radio phone. It's a yeah, cordless phone. Right. So he uses that because he's um, got that connected up to his neighbor's. And just just in case somebody ever tries to trace his phone number, which seems, okay, he's really thinking ahead on that one. Um, and, well, it makes sense, too, because it happens in the film. He's got yeah. this phone that some neighbors hooked up to their network without them even knowing it, and he's got the cradle. Uh, not the cradle, he's got the handset <laughs> somewhere else. Now, to be fair, I don't know if any of you folks remember um, handheld phones in the 90s, but... Um, my range wasn't that good, certainly not through a metal shed. Yeah, the, the, one of the cops says, oh, the base unit's in this shed. He could be anywhere within a thousand yards. Maybe like, feet. A thousand? <laughs> Three thousand feet? Yeah. 
I don't remember any cordless phone that had a range of half a mile from the no. base station. No. no. And I'm but... surprised at that point they just didn't knock on all the neighbors' doors. But, of course, you know. But hey, by couldn't... the way, do you have a pirate radio station in your basement? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, they were right. That was the thing. The housing development, there were obviously hundreds of houses in very close proximity. They could have yeah. been anywhere. Yeah. So that was actually fairly clever of him. I, I mean, I, uh, the closest you could get, I guess, is uh, a YouTube channel with a shifting uh, location or a shifting IP address, and they've done movies like that. I guess, but it's like, that's the, I think the whole point of him and the re- pirate radio station was is he was using the system to talk about the system against the system's will, you know? Um, FM radio is, is highly regulated. That was the other problem with the technology in this film. It's like... Um, yeah, shortwave. Shortwave and FM are not at all the same thing. The no. best he could have hoped for was AM, and it certainly wouldn't have been in stereo. I don't really care. Um, I don't know what it takes to go to make an FM transmitter. For all I know, he actually managed to go and get the parts. It doesn't matter. Um, when he goes mobile, then I mm. kind of have to wonder, because then I really... It's like, how much power have you got? Do you have... Is this hooked up, like, to the cigarette lighter? I don't know. No, no, but, he, he had actually a car battery, a separate one. I mean, that's see the that same when thing. when he's setting it up. Yeah. I mean, because yeah. if he was plugged into the Jeep, it wouldn't have provided any more power or less power than another car battery. Probably less, but... Eh, who cares? It doesn't matter. Um, but that's the thing, is, like, you know, uh, media today is so much more spread out, you know, and it's so much easier to access. Like, oh, you know, any two bozos could, you know, get together and record a show. About, like, I don't know, talking about TV shows or Or something. movies or something. No, come on. Any two bozos. Yep, any two ridiculously (laughs) unqualified bozos could do this. No, that's a point, but that's sort of the, that's one of the unusual parts of the movie. And while it does date it, it's an interesting part. It's the idea that this kid has found a way to to speak to many people at once, something that he does that most kids at that time didn't have the power to do. Right. This is tw- oh, you know, this is almost thirty years ago, mm-hmm. and now the idea, I mean, any anybody now can broadcast their dog twenty four hours a day, <laughs> and uh, you know, have have people from all over the planet, never mind the city. Right. The planet staring at the or watching their dog eat an avocado or what have you. I think it's, that's one of hmm. one of the issues too is that we're now talking a much greater noise to signal ratio, mm. right? Whereas we're talking an FM band, and he starts broadcasting. Who knows how many shows he broadcasted before that one blog kid? I think his name was Mizzy. Um, <laughs> picked it up because he said he was the first one who picked it up but uh, the fm band's just not that wide you could be sitting no. there looking for a radio station and come across something fairly easily whereas if you're trying to find something interesting on youtube i mean it's like <laughs> it's worse than flicking through cable right so how do you find right. that signal it's i it, back then it was a lot easier there's a lot less you could less outlets and now you could sit there and make this revolutionary youtube channel good luck for somebody finding it no, that's a point, and part of that I think I think that's also part of the the uh, theme of the movie is he has to work to get it out there. Right, he has to you know figure out these. Obviously, this he's really smart. He's decent with electronics because not anybody can just hack together some kind of FM shortwave bro- or whatever the hell magic broadcaster he <laughs> has, the, and uh, <clears throat> or figure out how to wire in his stereo system so that he can actually play music and uh, multi-track so he can talk while the music's playing. 
I mean, he basically has made a radio station. <laughs> He's built himself a radio station. And back then, that was a major effort. That was a huge accomplishment. There weren't, uh, you know, tutorials for this. No, but the web wouldn't exist for another three years. Well, one year, technologically, three years for the first web browser. It wouldn't be out there. He did it on his own. And I think that's the idea. He was so desperate to get his voice out there that he made this colossal effort. He so wanted to connect, to, to break out of his loneliness. I mean, that's a big thing, a big theme of Mark's character is he's incredibly socially awkward. Mm. He can't talk to people. He, pretty, he almost can't talk. He's right. got obviously really serious social anxiety disorder long before we had the, the term for it. Yeah. That's what makes the character so compelling, is he has done this. He's He has changed the game just so he can talk. He's I would say that, that loneliness and pain are really the central themes of this. Mm. And there's a quote, and I can't remember what science fiction thing it was from, but it was, and I, I want to say it's probably a Star Trek thing, and I just can't remember what. You probably will. But there's some alien that suddenly experiences what it's like to be human. It might actually be the episode Metamorphosis, but it just basically says you're so lonely. You you humans are so lonely. You're oh, no, all that's alone. A, that's the one with the Medusin? Uh, no, no, no. Um, uh, Metamorphosis is the one with the companion. Oh, I thought, but I thought that the loneliness is when uh, the Medusin, what Kodos or Kolos takes over <laughs> the Kang, Kodos, whatever. The alien in a box takes over Spock. <laughs> is there in truth no beauty? Yeah, ah, that's it. And he takes over Spock and he's saying how remarkable, you know, having a physical body is. He goes, but you're so alone. You might be right. It might be that mm. episode. But that it, it, it made me think of that, you know, and it's it's true, you know, especially at that age. You know, nobody understands me. Well, you don't understand you either. And that was part mm. of the film. It's like he knows and he at least admits it. It's like, I don't get it either. But he finally figures out the whole point is to survive. Um, that tragic, that painful scene where Malcolm calls him. Yes. And Malcolm is the kid who calls him or no, he doesn't call him. He calls Malcolm because Malcolm right. wrote him a letter and said, I'm going to kill myself. Right. And he calls him to talk to him and saying, you know, do you have a reason? And Malcolm just says, I'm alone. Yeah, it is very and, sad. I will and, say, re I've seen this film a number of times. I really like this film, and I will, we'll get to that in the in the roundup. But mm -hmm. it was actually a lot harder to watch this film than I thought. Mm -hmm. um, if you folks have uh, listened ahead and, and, and said, oh, I'll watch that film before the show airs, yeah, uh, part of me wants to say a little bit of I'm sorry. This is a big downer film, but... It's very powerful, and it's actually more powerful than I remembered it being. Mm. And I would say that in a lot of ways, as anachronistic as it is, it actually resonates with mm, a lot of what's going on today. Not necessarily with high school people, but just the world kind of feels similar to the situations that are going on at this high school. Yeah, it's the kid, the kid is basically saying, I mean, Hard Harry is telling them, we all tell they're all, everyone's saying being a teenager is wonderful. He says, No, being a teenager sucks. It's scared. We look at the world around us that we don't control, and it's terrifying. And we mm. look at how awful the world is, and we don't know what's, what to do about it. And that's, yeah. yeah, I think that's that's very relevant now. And where do they live? Paradise Hills. Yeah. <laughs>
Yeah. yeah. Um, there's a lot of great little touches in this film. I love the fact that he... I don't know if she signs the letter this way, um, but I love the fact that he refers to Nora as the eat me, beat me lady. Apparently, um, that, is, that, is, that is how she signs the letters, apparently. And the thing to me is that I didn't remember, because of course when I watched this film, I don't know that I was trying to analyze it or anything, but their relationship is really interesting mm. because they're they're very similar people. On one hand, he's somebody who can't talk in public. He can't talk to other people, especially girls or somebody he might like. Although at one point it's obvious that he actually likes the Goody Two Shoes character. And he oh, actually Paige. says yeah. yeah, he actually says hi to her and then just keeps going and it's like I can't believe I said hi to her and she's like, mm -hmm. Who is that? <laughs> and so Nora can talk to people. But then when it comes to talking about the stuff and that bothers him or bothers her, putting it into words, formulating it and reaching out, she can't do that. Yeah. And then when they get together, they're even when he finally comes out of his shell enough to talk to her or just be totally stunned and confused that there's this woman kind of throwing herself at him, that she realizes that she's kind of awkward about this whole thing too. And I'm actually really glad that they don't get it on sexually. Like, mm -hmm. I think that that's important. And the cool part is, is that there's these little notches, these little hills and valleys that I think that those two fit together very well. Like mm. they, they help fill in missing parts and they help add to the other person really well. And I don't think in a lot of these teen films, especially the 90s, and ha they still do this today, you often see the female character playing a secondary role in the relationship or a subservient role or something like that. And as it turns out, she's exceedingly necessary in that great scene where he says, I need you. And she says, it's about time, mm -hmm. you know, that he realized that she knew it, but she couldn't express it to him either. He has the voice, but he doesn't, ha he, he lacks some of the courage and she pushes him and she shows him, this isn't just about you. Yeah. This is, these people need you. They need to hear you you're saying something we all need to hear and you can't just hide from that no and the adults can't say it because the adults mm -hmm. don't get it it's too no. it's been too long for them um the ellen green character she might be able to still connect but even she doesn't have the answer because she's an adult um and of course we're all saying this you know you are saying this all from the position of being adults old white guys mm. but I don't know. I, I, I was very touched by this film when I saw it. I've been touched every time I've seen it. It's a film that I won't watch too often because I don't want to lessen that impact too much. But um, Some of the conversations, I mean, some of the stuff that comes up, I had forgotten about the guy he talks to who talks about, in effect, his first gay experience. Yep, I had that in my notes too because yeah. the nice thing about that is that it's not negatively portrayed. No, the kid isn't... It's not like, oh my God, I feel so terrible at what I did. It's very... This guy basically talks about he went someplace, goes up into the woods with a guy he really likes, and he's just beginning to discover he, these feelings he has for the guy are sexual, and it turns out that it, he's been brought up there to be humiliated by the guy and his friends. And mostly, the kid is saying, oh, I, I don't... It, it's very clearly portrayed that the bad guys here are the other guys, not him. Right. And he's strong enough to take that. You know, he's like, I don't know what to do, but, you know, they were awful. I don't I don't like what I did, but I don't think I'm a horrible person because of it. That 
but the listeners agree with him. Like we didn't yeah. see a single listener like you know curl their lip or wave it off or anything. And to me, yeah. seeing that kind of content that early was I had forgotten about that. You know, and that it's was... like I'm amazed that that was in there, and I'm amazed that it wasn't just. You know, the usual, oh, the gay kid gets beaten up. You know, we see it, and that's all mm-hmm. that we see. We actually see him as a person, and we see what he's going through. Um, and we see, and the complex level, because he's still in love with the guy. Right. He says, I think about him all the time. Yeah. Um, one thing I have to interject, and we I do this a lot because it seems like our entire show so far has dealt with this one thing at one point or another. Mm-hmm. It is a white, 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 white film. White, white, white. <laughs> no, white, no, no. White. There are a couple. Hey, Louis, Max, Luis Montillas is in there. It is and a there are white, a number white, of Hispanic white, characters white that don't speak. White, 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 white film. <laughs> yes. uh, the one black character who speaks is one of the teachers. We don't know what he does, but he's the one. He is the one teacher who says, "Hey, they're just kids. You know, maybe you're taking this too seriously." The other black character who speaks, who does, who speaks, is a cop who says to oh, one of the other right. cops, "You've forgotten what it's like to be young." Yes. So no, I mean, no, no, they're, they're that's some, nice, but, but let's face it, it's a white movie. <laughs> yeah, it is. We're gonna we're gonna have to try, try to uh, try, check out some movies that aren't quite quite so white. Yes. Um, yeah. Uh, the films we pick so far that's the way and to be fair Mm. Hollywood just you know they can't help but let's make another film with white people because white people are the best of all (laughs) Um, I mean let's face it we've been talking about older films and that's kind of how older films are yes but you're right we should look into that better we should we Mm. should find films that have a little bit more varied cast because they're they were out there they just weren't as easy to find yeah Um, but I had to put that in there because yeah um Hey, one little one little shot that uh, uh, is they should have kind of edited a little better. There is one scene where they're outside. This this is an amazing school. That's like the biggest campus I've ever seen. There's so much of it's outside. At one point, though, it is plainly obvious that they are walking pa- past the Saugus High School Library. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, and it's like oh, it's not dear, like a little that. blip in the background. It's like they're kind of <laughs> standing in front of it for a minute. And it's like, um, okay, so you're not at. Herbert Hoover High. Uh, uh, not as Hubert, Hubert, Hubert Humphrey, Humphrey I High. I know. One of the other things that um, I was thinking about was, and this is more on the humorous side, this is when after Harry has basically said, you should go nuts, go crazy. There's scenes of, of mayhem at the school and some graffiti, and I have no idea where they got it. Was it class project? Was it yeah. left over from sex I ed? I know what you're, you're talking about. three or four kids with this six-foot phallus just walking it through school. Which they apparently just happen to have. I know! It's like, uh... Does like that you do. From, oh, you know, maybe they got it at the cock ring store. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um... I have to figure out, is that explicit? Can you say, I guess I should beep it. I don't um, see why, I don't think it's that explicit. Well, the two word, words separately aren't, but, you know, <laughs> our listeners out That's there, right. you know, they may, you know, just That's like. That's right. It's, it's said it, George Carlin talks about uh, that. He says, yeah, you know, there, there are two-way words. You know, there are words that are in the Bible. You know, and the cock crowed three times. <laughs> the cock crowed three <laughs> times. <laughs> it's in the Bible. Uh, I'm going to have to beep you, you know. <laughs> I was talking about a male chicken. You can't. Were you? Um, hey, listeners, you if you'd like to vote otherwise. on the fact of whether Max meant a male chicken or not, you can write it down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, one of the things that I thought was interesting, this is sort of circling back to the relationship, is that at one point the the sentence, I wish I could be like you, mm-hmm. is said. And it really applies to both Nora and Mark about the other person. Um, and it's mm-hmm. one of the other layers of their 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 relationship that's just like 
to me, these two people, and of course, you know, wants to go to college or whatever, assuming he ever gets out of jail. Um, <laughs> we don't know if they'll change, continue to change. Maybe they won't be together or whatever, but it's just like for this moment, the fact that they see something in each other that helps them is just really cool. You don't usually see that so much. You know? They are a really good couple. You know, yeah. you just look at them and go, oh, they would be so good for each other. Yeah. Because she, it's funny, Nora, who seems to be much more outgoing, is, as you said, it's only up to a point. She can't yeah. express what's really inside. She can do it through this sort of loud persona, uh, the rebellious uh, sort. But once she starts to get close to someone, when she starts to get close to Mark, yeah. she gets scared, and you can tell. And it's it's just as hard for her as it is for him. Well, there's also that point where her loud persona has been taken too far and she gets expelled, admittedly, in a very bad way. And mm. what does she do? She gives up. She's walking out. She's like, mm. I'm done. What am I supposed to do? I can't do anything. So her, in this case, the Happy Harry Hardon show, can I say that? I probably can't say that either, <laughs> um, is what gives voice to her anxiety and, and sort of starts buoying her confidence, which is funny because, of course, he can't say any of that stuff to anybody face-to-face. -face. So, yeah, it's a very interesting relationship. I liked their relationship a lot. It's an interesting thing about... I mean, the, you ask yourself, what's the movie about? Is it about the disaffected voice of a generation or is it about two people, you know, discovering about love and sexuality and, and opening, letting their barriers down? It's, I think it's both. That's one of the things that makes the movie memorable. I think it's more about the commonality they that people are starting to realize that they share with ju not just the two of them or even just this is just me, but that's why people are listening. And one of the notes I had in here was that people are drawn to that, and I hate to use this word because it's been this word because it's been so corrupted, but people are drawn to that reality. Mm. And if they see it in media, I think they're hoping for sincerity. They're hoping for it to be real. And this is probably why reality shows, quote unquote, start off so well, or at least are so popular. But eventually you find out that they're just as, you know, constructed and just as fake in their ways as anything else. We're all trying to connect and we're hoping we can see something out there that's speaking to us. And when we find out that, you know, maybe Cake Boss isn't as real as we thought it was, <laughs> or, you know, that that isn't how it happens in Pawn Stars or whatever show you watch, you know, that it is just, you know, hey, we have to structure this to make it a show or people won't watch it. And it's like, that's that's kind of what Harry was doing, you know, in a way he even says it himself. It's like, I, this isn't real either. I'm using a, a voice um, distorter. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's like, he just, that's how he has to communicate. Um, also, I have to point out, um, you and I probably, in some ways, didn't identify as much with the school in this film because it was so utterly unlike our high school experience. That is um, very true. My partner refers to it as art camp. Um, yeah, well. <laughs> he's not entirely wrong. It, it was very, you know, artsy-fartsy and very... Uh progressive socially and such and you call yeah. the teachers by your first name by their first names and yes. they didn't have lockers so you couldn't get stuffed in them no or i mean we had clicks kind of oh but we like, definitely had clicks that, that's well, our just... click was the D, &D group so... yeah and the thing was no one beat us up because of it no we'd have people come by and try it out and leave but that's the worst mm -hmm. that ever happened i think the worst the worst that would happen is people come in watch us for a while and just sort of go weird and leave <laughs> yeah like they were anything to, to write home about right yeah well who wasn't weird at that school yeah yeah it was a, 
it was very much not the manufacturer. I mean, that was a, supposed to be a state school that was you know, obsessed with test scores. Right. That was the whole thing behind the principal is that uh, who, who is just a classic bad bad guy 90s principal. Yeah. Oh, she and, was no Ed Rooney. <laughs> no, no, she was no. She's not Ed Rooney and she's not Dean Warmer. But, <laughs> you know, for a moment there, you just sound like Dirty Harry. <laughs> really? Really? Thanks, Grace. <laughs> Don't call me Grace. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so one of the other interesting things that I had not remembered from my previous viewings of this film, there's this one point where he's talking specifically as Harry on his radio show about maybe thought is a virus. and Truth. The, truth is a virus. Well, thought and That's word the phrase. And, That's the phrase that they use. That became a real kind of a catchphrase for a while. The truth well, is a virus. Here, that idea was explored very heavily in a science fiction novel that came out only a couple of years after this film, and that that novel was Snow Crash. Oh. Um, it was by Neil Stevenson, mm-hmm. and in there, boy, there's a Neil Stevenson likes to do multiple layer plots, but one of the plots is that language itself is a form of virus. And religion is a form of virus. And I'm not going to go in here and say that that's a good thing or a bad thing. We're not going to get into that. But it, the, the novel talks a lot about the idea that there are ways to spread things like a virus that are brought down to just words and ideas. And it's briefly mentioned in the film. And it's written once in graffiti. But it's a pretty deep, important point for a teen film. I mean, the more you look at this, the less like a teen film it kind of is. I mean, there's a lot going on. It's dealing with some very heavy issues. It's dealing mm-hmm. with them very well. And it's even though it's written by an adult, it never feels like, to, at least to me, and again, I'm an old white guy, what do I know? But it never feels to me like the stuff in here is not ringed with truth of some sort. Like, the kids weren't feeling this way and weren't going through this sort of stuff. This stuff resonates. I think it resonated then. I think it still resonates. It's the idea... I I think one of the underlying... The messages that that, uh, Happy Harry Hardon is telling people is, you know, all that stuff about how best this is the best years of your life and uh, being a teenager is wild and wonderful like they show you in the commercials. That's absolute crap. As he puts it, being a teenager is your survival test. Yeah. It it ha, it has to get better after this. If it does if this doesn't kill you, it makes you strong enough to go on. And that's Which is how a, we get back into Conan, but oh. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, and the and, lamentation and, of the women. <laughs> what is best in high school Conan is. <laughs> that was what was best in my high school experience. Yeah. I don't know about yours. But of course we can all just say that it all started in a 5,000 rock radio station in Fresno, California. Thank you, um, thank you, Farmer Ted. Yeah, um, yeah, I know. Sorry, we, we, this film was a lot more serious than I remembered. I mean, it, it's I, I I've seen this. This is probably my fifth time seeing this film, uh, maybe six. I don't know. And I, it's a heavy film, mm. and it's a good film, and it's surprisingly good. Yeah, well, I think that would lead us into the roundup, wouldn't you? The, the roundup, but mm-hmm. but what about our canned cocktails? <laughs> They'll keep. There's, there's actually a couple of things I want to touch yep. on before oh, we sure. quite get to the roundup. Um, something that's very 
that was very prescient. I know we used that word a lot la last week, and especially in her, we used that word prescient. Uh, at least mm. I hope, actually, I hope her was not that prescient, although it's a bad feeling that it is. Oh, uh, I don't know. I I'm hope I'm okay with it. Again, if the, uh, if the singularity happens and we get sentient AI and all they do to us is leave, I yeah. think we're coming out ahead. Yeah, because it's scary. Yeah. Um, it's dark out there. Mm. Um, two of the things that I thought worked very well then and still work very now was the idea of living through an avatar um yeah. people do that a lot now certainly mm -hmm. people have online personas people do role play um people make up accounts that they use to blog with or to comment with stuff like that that's certainly going on today but at one point he says go out there pick a name mm. and which is the same as picking an identity, but which is really doing something to find the courage to be yourself. You're hiding behind an identity only so that you can say what's really true and inside you and not worry about the backlash. The backlash can hit the identity. It's like a shield. It's not hitting you. And mm -hmm. that's where you're finding the courage, the courage to do that. Well, and you get I a lot of that. It's the same with like it, doesn't, isn't that what Banksy does? Yeah, I, I, I think in his case, he's partially doing so that some of that backlash isn't actually legal, <laughs> um, as opposed to just people hitting him with ideas. Mm -hmm. But yeah, it is very much the same way. Hey, we're rela hey, we're relating films that we've talked about together. Oh my God, we're so damn clever. <laughs> I think I wrote that in my notes. We are so. Oh yeah, there it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so like the, I mean that that thing taken to extreme and of course at the end of the film we hear all these other people doing this and coming mm -hmm. up with their own shows and stuff like that um and that's kind of what what we're doing right now although we're using uh, our real names yes we are <laughs> but it's the same thing it's like if if that's what it takes for you to be able to express yourself if you have to do it through you know a pen name or a personality or something um i like the idea that there are ways to do that and you can still get truth out. The only one thing that dilutes that, of course, is that it is a persona. It is an avatar. But people um, have been doing that forever. They've done it yes. for all sorts of reasons, not just being afraid of social backlash, but being afraid of political backlash, economic backlash. It's that That's a tradition as old as time, is, is telling the truth or telling how you feel through a persona. Would you say it's a tale as old as time? But not a song as old as rhyme, probably. Mm. Mm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, probably not. No. It, it's just thinking of the uh, persona he creates, the idea. In, in a lot of ways, that was sort of the beginning. I can't remember exactly when Howard Stern became big, but uh, it was kind of a preview of the shock jock era. And yeah. it's it's kind of, again, this is another way it's sort of dated. It, and it makes me kind of sad to realize that to us now, hearing a guy simulate masturbation on the air or play fart noises, we're just <laughs> like, eh. Yeah, who <laughs> isn't like doing nothing. that? Yeah, uh, yeah that's remember when David point. Letterman used to do that? Cripes, oh man! <laughs> oh, sure, it was funny in the eighties. <laughs> yeah, 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 and that's yeah, that's that. That I'm gonna say also feeds into the whole signal to noise thing. It's like when you can say those words on TV, mm -hmm. they lose their their shock. They lose that that part of that value, which is both a good and a bad thing. And one you know side of it might be well, why did we ascribe so much value to them in the first place? And the other might be, well, then I, now I can't get your attention. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a double-edged thing. That's true. 
But I would say that like the the use of Avatar, the use of of a spokes name or whatever, was something that was much more used by a fewer a fewer people. There were you know maybe creative people or people that were in certain. Um, well, people claim that William Shakespeare was a persona. I don't buy it, but oh dear. You know, if that story were true, then that person was using the name William Shakespeare as a persona so that he could write those things and not be criticized by his group, his his peers. Um, and I would say that that was that that use of Avatar was much more common in that kind of condition in the past. But now, I mean, who doesn't go online and have some sort of Avatar? And this is, of course, us a problem. Because while it gives you strength and courage to say things, it doesn't give you the wisdom to shut up. Yeah, it also, I mean, again, there's always the question of the uh, the persona in that, yes, it gives you the freedom, but it also, it, it shields you from some of the responsibility. Right. And people often, people often use this. They say, oh, I, I didn't say that. That was a person, that was a character I'm playing. That's, uh, that's not really how I think. It's just a TV show. Mm. <laughs> Get a life. Uh, yeah. So, so yeah, that that that's a whole other issue, I think. But speaking of other mm. issues, I would mm. say that uh, now mm. we mosey, we saunter, mm. we bow-leggedly trip, trip, possibly trip, amble, amble into the roundup. The roundup. And like a pie in your face, here's the roundup. There, All right, that's, that's a little less horrible. That's, that's the <laughs> version. And for people wondering, <laughs> I said something terrible, which you're not going to hear because I edited it out. So there yeah. you go. He did say something pretty terrible. Anyway, and he's Besides, bugging me a... about saying cock ring. <laughs> Stop saying that. <laughs> now, now, now. What's a knot between friends? Uh, oh, Lord. <laughs> Someday we'll explain that. You really No, no, we won't. You. Um, All right, anyway. so here in the roundup. Yeah, uh, Max. I know you've mm. seen this before. Oh yeah, many. I've seen this several times. Um, you liked the film. I really do. The thing that always get that gets me about this film is it's not just the acting and the dialogue. The music is a character by itself. Yes. And the music in this movie. You. I remember you said talking about Empire, the soundtrack of Empire Records, as sort of the soundtrack of the '90s. That was you who said that. <laughs> wow. I. That was damn smart of me. Um, you just quoted yourself. Wow. <laughs> Well, it's worth quoting. <laughs> this is sort of the soundtrack of the 90s nasty-ass cousin. Yes. The one that won't take off his motorcycle boots and puts them up on your furniture and leaves cigarette burns in the couch. Yeah. Because uh, I got Soundgarden, Henry Rollins, the Pixies, the Descendants. The Beastie Boys. The Beastie Boys. And the nasty parts of the Beastie Boys. And the thing that always that gets me most, this, is the, this movie was the first time I'd ever heard Leonard Cohen. Right. And that song, everybody knows, that just shot right through me when I heard it. Yeah. I was obsessed with that song. That was when I, when cell phones came out and I had the first one where you could customize the ringtone, everybody mm-hmm. knows was my ringtone until people would start coming over to me, strangers going, are you okay, son? Because <laughs> that's a really depressing song. But it's gorgeous. In this case, the answer was no. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I like this film, too. When I first saw it, it was sometime in the 90s. I don't think it was that close to when it came out. I honestly don't remember. But it hit me hard. It was like, wow, what is this film? And it amazes me to this day that it's not a bigger film and what didn't have as much impact. And again, it might have been the marketing. I don't know. Apparently, Christian Slater has been quoted as saying that this is his favorite film that he did. Oh, I really? Mean, 
Good let's for him. face it, it's almost a monologue for him. I mean, he's up there doing the show, and then there's stuff in between, but there's the most poignant parts of that movie are pretty much him doing the Harry Hardon show. Mm. And apparently, he does not, or at least at this point, did not ad-lib and did not want to ad-lib. He would give different versions of the text, but apparently, according to the writer, Alan Moyle, uh, he was very much dedicated to the script. Wow. So, yeah. I... This is a film that I think is worth watching every few years. Mm. It's a film that, that I think it works like the show does in the film. It makes me get up and want to do something, anything. You know, um, it makes me think about being heard. I'm a cartoonist, so I, you know, that, that resonates for that part of me. But, you know, I, I can't say that this film isn't part of the reason why we do this show. It's like, hey, I need to do something. So, very much recommend this film. If you've somehow missed it, and I, I, a lot of people I know haven't seen it, um, by all means, look it up. Yeah, it's really it's really worth it. It's not even that long. No. And it's worth it just, even if nothing else, you got to remember the music. If yeah. you've never heard the music, it will stun you. If you have, it'll bring it back to you. Yeah. It's it's not the nice top 40 soundtrack of most no. teen films. Everybody wants to rule the world. Hey, I love Ferris Bueller, but um ferris can't get this fm station like his radio will not turn tuned to this um, no man you, you want it this is hardcore stuff this is nasty this is but it's also it's part of who we were and it's part of who we are and it's definitely part of our musical heritage yeah and it might still be the way that kids are going through adolescence i don't i don't want to say one way or the other because i'm too far removed I don't I'm remember sure a lot of this stuff now compared to like a lot of the hardcore emo or hardcore gangster rap is seems really tame. Oh no no, I meant the but feeling of the film. Us. Oh, the feeling of the film, I think yeah. that still works. Yeah. And as I said to me, it feels like there's a lot of resonance with adult stuff going on in the world today. Yeah. There's a lot of stuff. And the nice thing is is that as heavy as this film is, as many tough issues like suicide like lack of acceptance being alone um, all that stuff is as much as the film deals with it i don't come away from the film being depressed no i don't think so i actually come away hopeful and again it makes me want to get up and do something so yep even if it's just get up and set fire to set posticular uh, awards in the microwave <laughs> that's one of the or, characters does or get out there and make a podcast yeah fact, we did it <laughs> Uh, so I think that's going to wrap us up. Um, yep. Anybody out there who wants to follow us, we have those accounts, you know, those those social things that... Um, that all kids the kids see. are into, oh yeah. Oh, you know, like toast and jam. Oh, sure. Um, if you want to follow <laughs> us on Facebook, we have a Facebook page. It is yep. Max Mike Movies. If yep. you want to follow us on Twitter, hey, guess what? Max Mike Movies. Uh, if you at want... Max Mike Movies. Uh, oh, that's right, because that's mm -hmm. the little... Isn't yeah. have they come up with another way of saying that and you know like number sign? Oh no, you say hashtag. All right, Whatever. okay. Um, port Max Mike movies. <laughs> We've just changed it. Hey world, yeah. you no longer say at, you say plort. Because we have a so, podcast and language bows to our whim. That's right. We are the voice of the people. Well, two mm -hmm. people anyway. So mm -hmm. you can see us at Facebook. You can see us uh, at plort Max Mike movies. <laughs> you can see us on our website, which is maxmikemovies.com. Um, if you're not getting our podcast via iTunes, that's a great place to pick it up. We have an RSS mm -hmm. feed. I know the Android users can get it there. But next week... We are going to be talking about another movie. And I guarantee there's at least one of you 
well, one of the two of you out there <laughs> has not seen this film. And that means yeah. that we are hipsters. Oh, we are. We, we like this film before it was cool. Well, we actually that, did, but yeah, that's partially because I'm true. not sure it ever... I, I still don't know I, if it was actually released or not. I mean, I did see it in the theater. <laughs> I saw well, it in the theater. It had to be released. Well, I saw it in the theater, but it was like the Nickelodeon downtown. And it was ah. only... The only reason I found out about it is because I was going to see another film and they handed out flyers saying, mm. hey, come next week, the director will be there. Anyway, the film in question that we're going to be talking about next week is Tapeheads. Tapeheads. Tapeheads, all one word. Uh, it might be a little harder to find. It's not, I don't think it's on Netflix, but it's out there. You'll find it. It's mm -hmm. starring John Cusack and Tim Robbins, mm -hmm. a pair that I'll say right now was never utilized enough. Because as far as I know, they did one other film together. It was High Fidelity, and they barely mm -hmm. are in any scenes. They're in, they're in one scene together. And it involves an air conditioner. Um <laughs> That's <laughs> very brutal. Mm. So if you want to watch ahead, we'll be talking about Tapehead next week. But until that time, and only until that time, until that time, uh, that that time, I will be Mike Luce, because after that time, I won't be. But I will continue to be Max Levine, both before, both after, and throughout eternity. <sighs> Man, that is a long time. We cannot make a podcast that okay. long. Okay, then through at least the next month and a half, I will be Max Levine. I can't wait to see in six weeks what you become. You'll get into your chrysalis and become... Oh, we're, we're having that problem again, aren't we? Um, yes. Oh, oh, the tape's running out. I can see it. And the show is now <laughs> oh. currently... This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench.